0: you will turn in your copy of the scriptures to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. The apostle Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit, the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank You that You sent our Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us from our slavery to redeem us and adopt us as your children. Father, as we consider our Lord Jesus this morning, I pray that you would set our hearts aflame uh, in love for him. We ask in his name. Amen. I want to concentrate uh, this week on verses 4 and 5 and i 'm going to jump into verses six and seven, but next week I want to concentrate um, uh, specifically on verses six and seven, because this idea of sonship is um, is something that I, that I think we should give our our complete attention to, and this week we will only spend a few minutes at the end of the sermon looking at it. But look again at verses four and five. To me it sounds like poetry. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions adoption as sons. Those are two of the most glorious. Uh, verses in all the scriptures. As I was looking at it this week, it also began to read like a resume. Because verses 4 and 5 give us the qualifications, or Jesus' qualifications, to be our Redeemer. And so you see His qualifications. He has perfect timing. And these are on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along. But He has perfect timing, verse 4, when the fullness of time has come. Jesus is fully God. God sent forth His Son. Again, verse 4, Jesus is also fully man. Uh, He was born of a woman. Jesus was born, lived, and died under the law. He was born under the the law to redeem those who were under the law. And then in the bulletin, I had Jesus' two greatest accomplishments I wrote that uh, we had it printed, and I began thinking about it. And I, well, Jesus rose from the grave. That's a pretty big accomplishment as well. And so, if I had to uh, an opportunity to rewrite that point uh, that's included in the bulletin, I'd say Jesus, two of Jesus's greatest accomplishments, uh, two accomplish two great accomplishments among many, are uh, his redeeming those who are under the law, and then those he redeems. Uh, are also adopted as God's children. So let's look at the passage verse 4 and 5. We could say that we're looking at his resume. So in verse 4 we see, first of all, that Jesus has perfect timing. When the fullness of time had come. What this means is that Jesus came at the perfect time in human history. How do we know it was the perfect time? Because God sent Him when God was ready for Him to come. God is the Lord of history. He works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. To quote Ephesians 1.11. To quote Matthew chapter 10, not even a bird falls to the ground apart from God's will. Not even a a hair from your head uh, falls out apart from God's will. And the reason that the Lord Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10, about sparrows uh, not falling apart from God's will, uh, all your hair being numbered, is because He is emphasizing That not only the big things in human history, but also the small things, the minute things, uh, all things work according to God's will. Before there was history, God, the Lord of history, planned every event, every circumstance. He planned every day in minute detail in your life. Psalm 139 says not a tongue or not a a word comes onto your tongue apart from God knowing it completely. He knows it completely because He has planned it. Your life is a part of God's plan. God is the Lord of history. And He is bringing everything in history, um, bringing all things together according to His will. From the very moment after the fall, God began building the world to receive her Redeemer. After the fall, God came walking in the garden. Uh, Of course, man and and woman had hidden from Him in their shame. God knew that they were hiding from them. And when He began speaking to them, He spoke to them about a promise in Genesis 3.15 about a Savior who would come and crush the serpent's head. He was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's promises in the Scripture in the Old Testament. We're pointing ahead to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God was building the world for His Savior to come. All of Israel's history, when we read about the Israelites, all of their history pointed to their need for a Redeemer. And not only sacred history but also secular history. Alexander the Great, his conquest in the uh, 330s and 320s BC united the world under Greek language and Greek culture, preparing for the Savior to come. Rome's conquest of Italy, which was completed in 265 B.C., and the rise of Caesar Augustus in 31 B.C., and the subsequent 400 years of relative world peace that uh, lasted under Rome, the, the Pax Romana. All this allowed for the rapid spread of the gospel through the then, the then known world. And so God was bringing history and bringing all the circumstances of history together. Waiting for the Savior to come. When Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Not only was Mary pregnant. But world history was nine months pregnant as well. And and history was ready to give birth to the Redeemer. And so this is what what Paul means in verse 4 when he talks about uh, in the fullness of time that world history was pregnant awaiting the birth of her Redeemer. Jesus also, in verse 4, as we continue to look, Uh, is fully God God sent forth His Son at the very moment when history was at its fullest when history was ready to give birth to her Redeemer God sent forth His Son when it says here that God sent forth His Son it implies uh, that Jesus existed before He was born the Son existed God sent forth His Son Mary, uh, or Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and this is how God sent His Son. Uh, he sent His Son into the world. Uh, and this is the the incarnation. But the important part here that I want you to see is that Jesus is God. Yes, He was born, but He existed before He was born. Jesus was never created he has always been we all know john 1 uh, verses 1 and 2 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning titus 3 verses 13 and 14 says we wait for the blessed hope the glory the glorious appearing of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself to redeem us from wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Jesus is God. He left his place up in heaven. He left and came down to this earth in order to redeem us to be his very own. You can think about it like this. Jesus Christ paid for millions and millions of people's sins. No one could do that but God. And if He were not God, at most, all that Jesus could pay for is one person's sin. He would be one person paying for one person's sins. If He were not God, at most, that's the most He could do. And so, if He paid for my sins... That means if He were not God, He could not pay for my wife's sins, or for my children's sins, or for your sins. But He is God. And because He is God, He is infinite. And because He is infinite, He can pay for all people's sins, or pay for the sins of all of His people, by His once dying on the cross. And it says then in verse 4 that he was born of a woman. And what Paul is emphasizing here is that Jesus is fully man. He was born of a woman. He was born uh, of a virgin. No man was involved. He was conceived uh, in her womb by the Holy Spirit. Therefore he is not subject to the original sin of Adam all of you are sinners. I am a sinner because Adam's sin has been passed down through every generation. The Lord Jesus was not subject to that original sin. And that is important. That's why He came and was born uh, of a woman. He's fully God and fully man. It's a mystery How can he be fully God? How can he be at the very same time fully man? It's a mystery. It is something that we receive by or accept by faith, but the Bible clearly tells tells us he is God and man forever. From the moment that he was conceived in Mary's womb. Verses four and five says that Jesus was born, that he lived, and that he died under the law. The end of verse four, he was born under the law to redeem those who were born under the law. I'm sorry, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we, we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus, because he was born as a Jew, and because he was born as a human being. He was born under the law. He was bound to keep the entire law perfectly. No human being has ever kept God's law perfectly. In fact, I know that every one of you have broken God's law already this morning. In fact, since you've been sitting here in this worship service, I would feel confident in saying that every one of you myself included, have broken God's law this morning, even since the worship service started. Because who of us has loved the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength this morning? Who of us has loved our neighbor as ourselves? We can think, well, I've loved this neighbor or that neighbor, but there's somebody else that we haven't loved um, as ourselves. Some have been prideful. Some of you have been prideful this morning. Others of you have been fearful or have worried. Others of you have been selfish and self-centered. But Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly. From the moment... That he was born the entire time he lived here on this earth, he kept the law in its entirety perfectly. Why is this important? Well it's important not only for the wow factor, you know Wow, he was able to keep God's law perfectly, because that's so foreign to us. But it's more important Um, that he uh, kept the law because he's doing for you what you could not do for yourself. In uh, theology, we call this Jesus' active obedience. His obedience was not simply for him. His obedience here on earth was for you. Jesus not only died for for you in your place, He also was obedient for you in your place. In fact, the scripture says, He was tempted in every way like we are. Why was He tempted? He was tempted for us. He was tempted in every way like we are, and yet He never sinned. So that Jesus Christ, or rather, when you come to Jesus Christ, all of his obedience that he he um, practiced here on earth is transferred into your account. My wife and I had something interesting happen yesterday. My wife was on the uh, on on uh, SunTrust looking at our checking account. And she said, Wes, you need to come here. Something's wrong." Well, what had happened was um, the paycheck that we normally get from the church was double what it normally is. (laughs) So I was like, well, what's wrong? And uh, obviously something is wrong. Mandy called Rip immediately. And you know, I'm sure uh, Rip and Jack will will uh, give their fullest attention to it on Monday. And everything will be as it's supposed to be. And what was not supposed to be there will be transferred back out and back into the church's account. But when Jesus gives you His righteousness... It is there in your account, and he never withdraws it. I think oftentimes we may think of our Christian life like this, or our justification like this. Jesus gives us his righteousness, and every time that we sin, it's debited also against Jesus' righteousness. So every time we mess up, Jesus' righteousness is taken away from us to some extent. But that is not the case. Jesus gives you His righteousness. He doesn't take it away. In fact, the scripture talks about you being clothed with His righteousness. When He clothes you with His righteousness, that is a robe that you will wear for all eternity. You are righteous in Jesus Christ. He gives you His righteousness. No little threads when you sin will be taken away. It is a perfect robe. It is a complete robe. And it is yours for eternity. All of His righteousness is yours for eternity. That's why he was born under the law, so that he could keep it perfectly, so that he could give you his righteousness. He also died under the curse of the law, uh, verse 5, to redeem those who are under the law. Because of Adam's sin, and because of your subsequent sins, you are, if you are uh, outside of Jesus Christ, you are presently under the curse of God's law. If you have not fled to Jesus Christ for refuge, the curse of the law still rests over you um, as a judgment. Jesus became a curse for you. That's why He went to the cross. He submitted Himself to the curse. He who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might be the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 When Jesus was on the cross, the full penalty and curse of the law came crashing down on Him. The penalty and the curse of the law was nothing less than the full, unmitigated, pure, complete wrath of God. And Jesus submitted Himself to that wrath. He came and became a curse for you. All the penalty of the law that we deserved came crashing down on Jesus. And Jesus submitted Himself to this, to this um, becoming a curse in order to accomplish two things. First of all, to redeem those under the law, to redeem us who are under the law, and also that we might be adopted as God's uh, sons. Verse verse 5. I'm going to skip over that, and I'm going to look real quickly in the next three or four minutes at the importance of our adoption, and we're going to look at adoption exclusively next week. But we see in verses 6 and 7, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The importance of adoption is seen, first of all, in that your inheritance is complete. Verse 7, if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. You are no longer a slave. The reason Paul mentions this is because he knows that the Galatians, in submitting themselves back to the law, are becoming slaves again. And and they're trying to be slaves who are trying to earn their freedom with God. And he says, you don't need to do that. You're no longer a slave. You are a son. And if you are a son, you have your freedom. If you are a son, you have everything. Remember last week, we were talking about what it means to be an heir of God. Everything that Jesus has is yours. Ephesians 1.3 uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. And as I said last week, if the federal government could find a way to, to impose the death tax or the inheritance tax on you, on on your inheritance in Christ, it would completely wipe out the national debt immediately. Thankfully, they can't do it. And so you have a complete inheritance. You also have an absolute security. Listen to Romans 8, verses uh, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit That we are children of God. The Spirit convinces us that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. In In today's society, the family is becoming more and more unstable. And so it may be hard to, to fully grasp what it means to have absolute security as a child of God. But God is using this illustration of the family to say that you have absolute security in Him. God saying if you are His child, He will never disown you. So Paul says in Romans eight verse sixteen, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so that's Romans eight sixteen. You know how Romans eight concludes. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height and depth or anything else in all Creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing. And God has sent His Spirit into our hearts to convince us of this fact. We're going to look next week uh, at this idea of adoption and we're going to look at why it's so hard to believe that we are God's children. But God... Because He knows that we are slow to believe. God knows that we have amnesia, that we easily forget His promises. He sent His Spirit into our hearts who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We also have freedom and confidence as children of God. Romans 8.15 it says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. If you were a believer in Jesus Christ, regardless of how weak you perceive yourself to be, regardless of the enormity of your sin, if you were a child of God, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you don't need to shrink back You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You received the spirit of sonship. You don't need to put on airs with God. Come to Him just as you are. Come to Him as a child would to His Father. God dwells in in, in unapproachable holiness. He dwells in glory. No human being can see Him or approach Him. But because Jesus has clothed us with Himself, we have full access. We have complete freedom. We have complete confidence to crawl up in His lap and say, Abba, Or as the children were saying this morning, Daddy, Father. And then lastly, because we are God's sons, we have intimacy in relationship and also in prayer. Look at verse 6. And because you were sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God so loves us. It's not that God so loved us. Yes, that's Genesis 3.16 that He sent His Son. But God so loves us now that He has sent His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts. And the Spirit of His Son cries, Abba, Father. He helps us to cry, Abba, Father. God the Father loves us so much that He wants us to keep close to Himself. He wants us to have the full joy of loving Him. And He sent His Spirit into our hearts that we can crawl up in His lap. Abba, Daddy, Father. We can lift up our prayers to Him with confidence. We can lift up our prayers to Him boldly. We can come to Him in the very next moment, even after we sinned. You don't need to let a little time or space go by for God to forget that you're a sinner or that you just sinned. When you sin, Daddy, Father, I've sinned against you. I've messed up again. Please forgive me. And He opens His arms wide. That's what he's telling the the Galatians here this morning. That's what he's telling us. You have a Father who loves you. That's the best news I can give you. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for loving us. You have been good to us in spite of ourselves. You have loved us even when we did not love You. You continue to love us when our heart is drawn after things in this world that uh, are displeasing to You. And You love us so much that Your Spirit continues to reside in our hearts and He draws us back to You continually so that we can crawl up in Your lap and cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. Father, I pray that for your beloved children who are here this morning, who have a hard time receiving this teaching, or have a hard time believing it, or easily forget it, Father, I pray that your Spirit would be especially active in their hearts. Father, for any who do not know you, who do not... um, Yet know the blessedness of being your child. I pray you would draw them to yourself. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.